Prophecy is the topic tonight, specifically relating to messianic prophecies. Emmanuel, God with us. Sometimes, sometimes we hear the word prophecy and we can just push it aside. A little too complicated. A little too complicated for us ordinary people or Whoa, that's a little mystical. Uh, I don't think I will get it. Or, or some people feel like, so what? So what does prophecy really have to do with anything going on in my real world down here on planet Earth, my ordinary life? So prophecy, we will begin this, this little thought process asking ourselves Questions. What is prophecy? What is it to you? And what is it to God? Why? Why would God pull back that mysterious veil that separates the present from the future? Because that's what prophecy does. It like pulls back the veil and says, you want to see? Of course we want to see. Everyone would like to know the future. There's not one person alive that hasn't wondered what lies ahead. And so that's exactly what God does. He does. He pulls that back and lets us see. So we're going to make it our theme tonight. That question, why would God pull back that mysterious veil? To let us know what lies ahead. That's kind of our quest for this night. Because I believe that God has something to say. Something very important to say. That has the power to literally change our lives. In this topic of prophecy. And along with that to build our faith. Prophecy allows us to see What God sees, not entirely, of course, but at least glimpses, which is kind of a radical concept. And that does build our faith as we live our lives. Oswald Chambers said, faith is a deliberate confidence in the character of God, whose ways we might not always understand at the time. Who will say amen to that? (laughs) We don't always understand his ways. And that's why always our quest should be to understand his character, which is perfect. Corey Tim Boom says, faith is like radar that sees through the fog, the reality of things at a distance that the human eye cannot see. Corey Tim Boom also said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Again, thus it is important that we know our God increasingly. First of all, let me share with you a mental picture that Pastor Chuck Smith often shared. He would share that this is what it looks like. If you go to the Rose Parade 
and you park on the curb. You kind of just set yourself your blanket and there you are at the curb and you're watching the Rose Parade go by and you're seeing the clowns or the horses or the bands and you see what is right before you. However, God is like in a, the Goodyear blimp and he sees the entire parade. Maybe you've heard this illustration, but it's a good one. God sees the beginning of the parade He sees the middle of the parade. He sees what you see, but he also sees what's coming ahead. He sees the whole thing. I like that. I like that there is nothing hidden from the knowledge, from his knowledge, ever. There's no past that's hidden from him. There's no present hidden from him. There's no future that's hidden from him. There is something importantly comforting about that. Don't you agree? I'm glad somebody, I'm glad somebody knows that. That is extremely comforting. You must take that to the heart, to your heart. But then he does part the veil for us. And he gives us important clues of the future. Um, And he's done that from the beginning of history up until now. And into the future, he'll do it. Fulfilled prophecy is one of the best evidences that validate that the Bible is true. Think about that. This is extremely important. That, that, that the Bible was indeed not written by mere men and human ideas. The Bible is full of prophecy. Some estimations are 25 to 30% of scripture is prophecy. Some of it is fulfilled and some of it's waiting to be fulfilled. No other book on planet earth contains fulfilled prophecies, specific ones. This includes the sayings of Buddha, Confucius, the Quran, the Book of Mormon, and Jehovah's Witness. I recently was talking to someone, and which I something I said something I often do is like, "What's your God story? How did you come to know Christ?" And she said, "Well, I was a Jehovah Witness, and I I took my faith very seriously, but but then when I I, I started learning all the prophecies." And saw that time after time, 1914, 1925, 1945, that the the prophecies were not correct. And that undermined my faith in that religion. And then she came to Christ. So it's important that prophecies, if they are spoken, that they are fulfilled. Hundreds of specific prophecies have already been fulfilled. Prophecies about towns and cities and nations and empires and political leaders. And of course, the Messiah have already been fulfilled. Specific, down to the T. And oftentimes people have criticized the Bible because they've not seen any archaeological evidence, data, Ruins that, that document certain events in the Bible. And then lo and behold, they dig a hole and there it is. There it is. Time after time after time. For example, as Jason shared a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night, in Isaiah 44, 28, God sh- showed Isaiah that the children of Israel would be released from Babylon captivity by a man named Cyrus. When this was spoken, 
the children of Israel weren't even all in captivity. And even aside from that, Cyrus wasn't even born. So you can imagine Isaiah. He's getting these words from God. Cyrus will release you from captivity. And you go, who is Cyrus? Who is that? Does anybody know who is Cyrus? He hadn't been born. But 142 years later, Cyrus is the one who gave the decree, as stated in Ezra 1, verses 1 through 3. Joseph, Joseph got prophecy from God through, through a dream from the Pharaoh that there would be seven years of prosperity and seven years of famine. God said it. God did it. And that settles it. Daniel accurately predicted four great world empires hundreds of years before some of them, the Greek and Roman empires, even existed. Jesus predicted the complete destruction of Jerusalem 40 years before it happened in Luke 2, 21.6. And then there are their messianic prophecies. There are over 300 passages that describe who the Messiah is and what he came to do. Of these, there are 60 that are major prophecies. So what are the chances of these prophecies being fulfilled in one person? All 60 of them. I think I've shared this illustration before. But since I'm a picture person, I think it's, it's really a good one. A mathematician, Dr. Peter Stonier, uh, did this picture scenario. He said, okay, let's push aside 60 prophecies. Let's just take eight. If eight of these specific prophecies were fulfilled in one person, what would be the odds against that? It would be one, one to the power of 17 zeros behind it. And you might be thinking, oh, that's not that big a deal. No, what would that look like in real life, all those 17 zeros? Well, if you take the state of Texas and you cover it two feet deep with silver dollars and paint one of them red and then turn um, Bobby loose in Texas and say, find the exact one. That's the odds of eight prophecies being fulfilled. But there are over 60 that are specific, important prophecies. And so this is, this is phenomenal. This is amazing. God speaks it, he sees it, and he does it. Prophecies, answers. This is an important to us. And I, when I was writing this page, this page, see these two pages? See these two pages? I'm a messy note writer. These two pages have some of your names on it right now. Some of your names. This, these two pages are for you. If they don't apply to you, you can take a nap and come back in two pages from now. But <laughs> prophecy answers the question that every human, every especially woman, asks at times. Is there a God who exists above time? And space. Is there really, really, really such a God? And if so, and, and somebody can say, yes, there is. Yes, yes. There is. Okay. 
If so, does he see what happens here in this broken world? Yes, yes he does. If so, does he care? If so, is he willing and able to intervene and help? Yes. Not just in this world, but my world. Yes. I hope. <laughs> yes. Does he care about you? Yes. You. You specifically. Your personal world. Your emotional world. Um, Rosalind Posey, who's been at Bible study, probably never missed in the last 20 years. She went home from Bible study and her little grandson had blood on, on his brain. And rushed to the hospital. And in very serious condition right now. Kathy, the leader of our leaders, got a phone call just on her way to Bible study that, that her, her brother's heart is only functioning at 15%. That's dangerous in that state. Our sweet Terry, also so faithful to Bible study, her mother, we thought had a heart attack yesterday. This is one day, one event can change your whole life, can't it? So does anybody see this going on? Yes, is the answer. All these questions, this is it, have concrete, not just pie in the sky answers, concrete. Time after time, God has spoken and he has spoken truth. And that's where we need to stand. Therefore... When we read about specific promises, uh, specific promises, you can and you must trust in them. He is concrete in what he says. And so I say, uh, is anyone here tonight full of worry? Full of worry, anxious, four hands are honest tonight, full of anxiousness. Is there a prophetic word that you can lay hold of? Yes, there is. How about when Jesus said, do not worry about your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, or your body, what you shall wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than raiment? And then he talks about the birds. And then he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Is that true? Is that a prophecy? Is that a prophecy from God? And so is it real? Can you stand there with confidence? We must be anxious for nothing. Is another statement but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And this is the prophetic utterance that the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Who has experienced that? Who has experienced that? I have. I have. I've experienced where God has provided miraculously when there was no money in sight and no resources in sight. Prophecy foretells, prophecy lays a path before us, inviting us to walk the way of faith. I love that song that says, so, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him 
at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus came to this broken, hurting world just as he said he would. Did he come as a conquering king to crush us, to punish us for our sins and our failures, to shame us, to show us that we are nobody? Nothing could be further from the truth. How do we know so? Because God says so. We know so. And so tonight, if you would turn in your notebooks to almost the last day, and I think it's almost the last day, Isaiah 50, verses 4 through 10. And I showed you first my, my just bare bones, uh, pink underlining. And this is what it looks like <laughs> after I dig in a little bit. post notes and yellow markers and scribbles across the page. Sometimes there's a picture or two. And again, girls, even if you did three and you just had fun with it, you just went on a journey. I didn't view this as, as homework. I started working on this over a week ago, this one verse, and it became my keeper. And it just took me on this journey on the inside story of Jesus. In this verse, in this section, in this description, this explanation, Jesus himself is pulling back the veil and opening up to Isaiah first and to us the inside story. The inside story, what was going on in his innermost being, in this, this suffering that became so intense, in this process that he so willingly submitted to as the Savior for us. And so let's read together a few verses And then I'm going to invite you to kind of look at the process of where we take a word and it's like a a little can. It's just a word. It's just static. And then we take the can opener and then we open it up and we see what's inside. And that's what words can do to you. They open up chambers. Isaiah 50 verses 4. And the Lord is speaking, the Lord Jesus. How do we know that? Because as we read through this, we'll see capitalized pronouns. And so we understand that it's God himself, it's Jesus, our Savior, who is explaining to us this process. The Lord God, he's speaking of Jehovah the Father, has given me, Jesus, the tongue of of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. 
nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. Let's just stop there and back up and look at how a few words and looking up definitions can take you inside this wonderful explanation. First of all, Jesus is saying that that his father God has given him the tongue of the learned. Now, in just a whiz-by reading, you go like, what does that mean? The tongue of the learned. And so I went on Blue Letter Bible, and you can open it up, just say, I want to look up these verses, and then you click where it says Strong's, and by each word are the, the, the Hebrew code numbers, and you just click on them, and it opens up the definition. And so curiosity took me, what does that mean, to have the tongue of the learned? Well, the word here means one who has learned. Well, you might be thinking, well, that's obvious. <laughs> I think I could have gotten that. One who has been discipled. So we're used to that process of learning. Maybe. Sometimes we learn and sometimes we don't. But this is Jesus. How did he learn? How did this, this learning happen? It was a process, it appears to me. A discipleship that in coming as one of us and putting himself in this body and walking these weary roads, there was a process where he learned. This learning went deep. And as we go through this explanation of what he went through and then on to Isaiah 53, the suffering that he experienced, that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and he had no comeliness that we should desire him. All of those things he learned. And then it says, then he would have the word the word for the weary. And in this, this was like these two sentences, as crazy it may sound, became kind of like my reality. That Jesus, he immersed himself so much in this human dilemma that there's nothing that you will ever experience that he doesn't intimately know about. 
He knows the emotions. He knows the pain of it. He knows the fear of it. He knows the grief of it. Not to the push to the level where we go, the sinful level, but to that human painful element. And so because he knows he walked in such a deep, painful path, there is nothing that I go through that he doesn't know exactly what to say to me and to you. And if you are facing something difficult and hard, which I am, I'm going through some news that is getting very complicated and I have no idea where it's going to lead. And I need somebody who's in the Goodyear blimp (laughs) navigating me, navigating me through this process. And what's interesting He knew what was coming. Like sometimes, I remember I I had a procedure on my foot um, when I was, I think, seven. It was a planter's ward. And it was so painful, so painful. I had never felt such pain. The problem was that I had to go back two weeks later and they were going to do the same thing. This time, I knew what it was going to be like. It took four nurses to hold down a little bitty seven-year-old girl. Oh, my goodness. I did not submit myself to it. Jesus saw the whole thing. This was 700 years before he came to this planet. And he's already speaking of it. Because he knows exactly the path. And he says, I was not. I would not be rebellious. I would not turn away. I have set my face like flint. For love's sake. For love's sake. He walked that path. I love this. I hate it. And yet I love it. He was not, he would not turn away. And I thought of that majestic moment, which is one of my all-time favorite Jesus moments, when he's standing in front of Pilate, that political, that political, weak-kneed, power-hungry man. And Pilate was impressed. And Pilate said to Jesus, When Jesus was silent, he said, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, you could have no power at all unless it had been given to you from above. In Matthew 26, he says, or do you think that I cannot pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 10,000 legions of angels. Don't think you have power, buddy. You got nothing. Got nothing. In John 10, he says, my father loves me because I lay down my life of myself. This is a majestic journey. A majestic journey. When you think that Jesus is letting you inside 
this process. But then he goes on to say, for the Lord God will help me, and I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. And what's the message for you in that? What is the message for you? Sometimes there's things set before us that are hard, harder than hard, right? Harder than hard. You have no idea how you're going to get through it. It's confidence in God. Jesus faced each one of those off-the-charts, crazy, harsh realities because he knew that always God would sustain him, God the Father. And that's the confidence that we have in him. Jesus wrote his own script for that amazing moment when he stood before Pilate. And I love that he was majestic in that moment. Tonight in your groups, I hope that you get to Isaiah 53. I hope that you get to Isaiah 61, which was fulfilled, as some of you remember, in Luke 4, where Jesus walked into the synagogue in his hometown. He was handed the book of Isaiah, and he said, The Spirit of God is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberties to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed, proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What a day that would have been in that synagogue. All eyes were upon him. And then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And again, all eyes were upon him. And he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And may we hear it just as clear as it was spoken that day when Jesus says, it's what I came to do. And I can. I want to fulfill this prophecy in your world. Who wants to say amen to that? And so, in closing, the thoughts of why. Why we should love prophecy. Why we should be confident in it. Number one. Number one. Because our great God does know the past, the present, and the future. Nothing is hidden from him. And when he says, I know the plans that I have for you, they are good and not for evil. That's a prophecy to give you a future and a hope. That's a prophecy. This should be powerfully, importantly comforting to you. Number two, prophecy makes us an insider. I like it. We're an insider to his ways. When we read something like Exodus 13, 17, when they were leaving um, Egypt, escaping, parting the Red Sea, God, get, God said a word 
He said, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest they pass through the land and face war and change their minds. To me, as I read that, I thought, sometimes God leads us through the wilderness. And we go, why, 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 why? I hate the wilderness. And God's up there thinking, oh, girl, you do not know what I spared you over there. You think the wilderness is tough and dry? Oh, boy, you're not on the battleground. Prophecy, that was a prophecy that God spoke forth. His plans are good. Number three, prophecy not only helps me trust God, it helps me fall in love with God. Number four, fulfilled prophecy in the past gives me confidence for that which is yet unfulfilled, which is yet to come. For instance, in 2 Thessalonians, that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. And with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Paul said, the night is almost gone and the day is near. The apostle John said, beloved, Now we're the children of God, and it's not yet appeared what we shall be. But when he appears, we'll be like him. That's a prophecy. Because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself. Prophecy is important to us. It gives us an eternal perspective and a passion, a passion to live for for what's really important. And who will say amen to that? Who will say amen louder? Lord, we just thank you. God, that you, you do see everything. And sometimes... You let us have glimpses. So tonight, Lord, would you minister to our hearts, giving us rock-solid confidence in you. For we pray in Jesus' name. And they all said, Amen. Amen.